First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. Good morning. You tune into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call planet Earth. And it's 4ZZZ. Be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency 102.1 FM or digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker. Listening via the Community Radio Plus app. And now we have a podcast as well, so you can check that out. Or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. The show is, of course, no idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today, sadly, no one at the moment. I don't know where everyone's going. Gabe just texted in, so he had a late late call to a meeting, so he's, he's there. Hopefully Izzy and Jay will join me soon. And Izzy's made it in. Well done, champion. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, no one else is going to be in, so I guess you're stuck with us. For those wondering, no Gabe today. Sad face. So I'll head us off with the uh, weird science. <clears throat> Have you heard of the term Vilpa before? A Vilpa. A Vilpa. V-I-L-P-A. No. Well, apparently the University of Sydney's made this term up. What's their QS ranking? University of Sydney? Yeah. For... I'll give you a hint. It's the same as the University of New South Wales. Oh, 41 or something? 19. Oh, lol. <laughs> Uh, that was pre pre before they like changed it. So the researchers from Sydney Uni published a study on the eighth of December last year in Nature, elegantly titled. Are you ready for this? Association of wearable device measured vigorous intermittent lifestyle physical activity with mortality. Say that three times. Yeah, no, it's nice, isn't it? So I grabbed the texts from Nature's website. Of course, fed it into OpenAI's <laughs> chat GPT, currently powered by, the free version anyway, is powered by version 3.5. Hmm. And they asked it, Izzy, to do an executive summary okay. of, of their study. So the exec- executive summary it generated is as follows. This study investigated the health effects of non-exercise vigorous intensity physical activity, also known as VILPA, embedded into daily lives of adults aged 40 and over. It is the first investigation of its kind. The findings show consistent evidence of beneficial associations between relatively modest amounts of VILPA and reduced all-cause or cardiovascular disease, CVD, Mm. and cancer mortality. The key findings, 
Even short bouts of vilpa lasting as little as three to four minutes per day was associated with significant reductions in mortality risk. The mortality risk reductions were more pronounced at the lower end of VILPA distribution, but continued to show benefits with larger amounts in a near-linear fashion. Roughly 3.4 to 4.1 minutes of VILPA per day on average was associated with a 22% to 28% reduction in mortality risk compared to not doing VILPA. Fewer than two VILPA belts lasting one or two minutes was associated with 24 to 26% reduction in all-cause mortality and cancer and a 33% reduction in CVD mortality risk. The median VILPA frequency of three bouts per day was associated with a 38 to 40% reduction in cancer and all-cause mortality and a 48 to 49% reduction in CVD mortality risk. The median tally VILPA duration of 4.4 minutes per day was associated with a 26% to 30% reduction of in all calls and cancer mortality and a 32 to 34% reduction in CVD mortality risk. So you get all those percentages. <laughs> the implications, the results indicate that even people who do not engage in structured exercise like Gabe during leisure time can benefit from VILPA which can be incorporated into daily routines. VILPA appears to have similar health benefits as vigorous exercise in individuals who engage in structured leisure time physical activity. Future guidelines should emphasize uh, the potential he health benefits of VILPA for those who do not consider themselves formal exercises. Wearable devices combined with machine learning-based methods and self-reported information can be effective tools to identify physical activity, micro-patterns, and promote preventative health measures. So there you go. That's wild. Vilpa. Vilpa. Yeah. What's an example of Vilpa, though? Nah. No, like, this is all well and good, but, like, short bursts of exercise that are non-exercise. It just know. sounds like exercise. It does, doesn't it? You run up the stairs. Well, you just got to get a heart rate up. Oh, okay. For, so like, for a minute. Okay. At a time. So you can get your heart rate up. Yeah, 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 so you do like a lap around the house or something. Yeah, like. so if you're off walking, you walk a bit yeah. briskly for a minute and then you can slow it down again. Yeah, nice. Yeah. You walk briskly moving. for a minute, turn yeah. around. It basically back. just comes back, just do exercise and you'll be right. Okay. Just move. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hear from, I think, that localized. Uh, yes, they are. They're called Faye, spelled F-H-A-E. And the song is called You're On Your Own. Spelled correctly. Part two of this. What you got first, Izzy? This one comes from the University of Sydney. Q. Oh, wait, we already know this one. 19. <laughs> Whatever. Scientists have discovered a the honey produced by Australian ants. Yeah, I heard this on Z-Lines. Oh, damn it. Yesterday. Or, Boo. Or yeah, no. Well, you're going to hear it again. Yeah, cool. Uh, produced by Australian ants possess unique anti-microbial uh, activity against bacteria and fungi, which could make the liquid useful medicinally. Mm. Now... This isn't the first time we've heard this. <laughs> first Nations people have been using this medicine for a very long time. They it's only been, just yeah. now that Western medicine is actually investigating this. Yes. Yeah. So, it was released recently. The team studied the Australian honeypot ant, the Camponets 
inflatus, mm -hmm. which is found throughout desert areas, mainly in Western Australia and the Northern Territory. Among their colonies, there is a class of overfed workers, which are basically stuffed full of nectar and sugary substance that then the other worker ants can... They basically become vending machines for them. Yeah, reservoirs. Reservoirs, yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah, yeah. They cause their abdomens to inflate with honey and take on a translucent amber appearance. Mm. They regurgitate honey to other ants in their colony when food options are scarce. So, Danny Yuchun from the Chiban language group who runs actually Honeypot Tours helped the researchers track down specimens for their study. So this has been long, this is bush, bush medicine that has long been used to help with sore throats and sometimes a topical ointment to keep infections at bay. Scientists have confirmed that ant honey is quite a different mechanism of action compared to manuka honey, mm. which is well established as a topical treatment for wounds and skin infections. Honeypot ants have been used medicinally for thousands of years, including the treatment of colds and sore throats, but now Western medicine is finally catching up. The researchers found that the ants' honey is effective against golden staff. The bacteria colonize on the skin and on the nose of people, but they can enter through a cut, causing quite terrible infections and, in serious cases, death. They found that ant honey is potent against different types of fungi as well. Both fungi can be found in the soil. The fungi is Aspergillus and Cryptococcus, and they have the ability to inhabit ant colonies. So having this kind of reservoir of ant honey helps prevent them being invaded by this fungi. And this fungi can also cause serious infection to people who do have suppressed immune systems. So it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's a new superfood, but it is interesting that this has already been used for thousands of years and we're only just hearing about mm. this kind of really cool superpower that it has. Cool, cool. So that's my, that's my weird. Has it got a special name, the honey? Or? I think it's just called... Honey. I think it's, bush oh, it's honey. like, yeah, bush ant honey, I believe. Ant honey. That's just it. <laughs> honey yeah. from the ant. Fair enough. If you're swimming at the beach and find yourself being taken away from the shore and unable to get back, it's most likely you're caught in a rip current. Rips are caused when the ground near a shoreline is uneven underwater. The incoming wave hits these unseen spots, resulting in a strong pull out towards the sea. However, there are signs swimmers can look out for. A clearly calm spot between breaking waves may indicate the presence of a rip current. Also, if there's a rip current, seaweed and foam drifts away from the shore rather than toward it. Look for any patches of water with noticeably different, darker and deeper colours than the rest of the surrounding ocean, since it's the rip which is churning up algae, sand and debris from the seafloor. Look for any patches of water with noticeably different, darker and deeper colours than the rest of the surrounding ocean, since it's the rip which is churning up algae, sand and debris from the sea floor. And, most of all, swim between the red and yellow flags. If you do get caught in a rip current, stay calm. It's not going to pull you underwater, it's just going to pull you away from the shore. So don't fight it, always conserve your energy and do not try to swim directly to the shore. Escape a rip by swimming parallel to the beach until you get out of the rip current's pull. Then the breaking waves will assist you back to the beach. If you need help, stay calm, float and raise an arm to attract attention. Never swim alone. 4ZZZ cares about our communities. You tuned into 4ZZZ and the show is no idea. We just heard a CSA from Alice about rips, the ocean. Hmm. Rips are good, though, if you're surfing with a surfboard. Yeah, you can get out the back really easily. But, you know, sort yeah. of goes against the CSA, doesn't 
Yeah, maybe not if you're a small child or something. Don't go near a rip. (laughs) And staying on the ocean theme, we might hear from our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist, Peter. We got a story from back in September last year. Yeah, this one's pretty cool. It's to do with the moon. And we'll see what Peter's got for us. One of the great things about science is uncovering the world's mysteries. And one of the places we've found most mysterious over the years is the ocean, which is why you're listening to me, your friendly neighbourhood marine scientist. But today, before we look down into the blue, we need to look up to the moon. As described by Aristotle, people throughout history have been fascinated by the moon. And you can't blame us. I mean, it's gorgeous, massive and shiny, and it kind of hangs in the sky. But more than that, it's extremely closely linked to a lot of life. Over the centuries, scientists have identified several connections between the lunar cycle and the behavior of living beings, including migration, mating, and feeding. For example, wildebeest mating and calf delivery in cows are reported to be synchronized with the lunar cycle, as well as the spawning of the Great Barrier Reef. And this isn't just for corals and cows. Even humans can have some lunar links to our hormones. The moon can affect our menstrual cycles, sleep-wake cycles, and manic-depressive cycles. And the lunar cycle just generally affects human biology and behavior. However, despite the lunar rhythm being fundamental to life, the actual mechanisms by which it can affect behavior are just not well understood, which is understandable. It's pretty hard to definitively link behavior to a giant rock in the sky. It's easy to find correlation, much harder to find causation. But we're one step closer to knowing in Pufferfish. Yeah puffish are connected to the moon. Along coastlines all around the world, at the time of the spring tide, which is either a new moon or a full moon, thousands of pufferfish gather at the water's edge and perform this like writhing motion as they spawn and get it on. They're known as semi-lunar spawners, which essentially means they have a somewhat fast and loose relationship with the moon. But although they're dancing and jiving as a sight to see, scientists just do not understand the biological mechanism which the pufferfish use to synchronize their spawning both with each other and with the lunar cycle. But now a group of animal biologists and chemists at the Institute of Transformative Biomolecules at Nagoya University in central Japan have gotten us one step closer. Their study, published in Current Biology, applied an innovative genomic technique called ecogenomics to grass puffers. Yes, they are called grass puffers and there will be exactly zero jokes associated with that. Max. So these researchers identified 125 genes involved in the grass puffer's spawning behavior, including genes that were absolutely crucial for reproduction. But here's the kicker. During the spring tide, the researchers noticed receptors for a particular pheromone, PGE2, which means absolutely nothing without context. So they applied the PGE2 to a tank of pufferfish and both males and females started to demonstrate their characteristic writhing behavior that they do when they're spawning. And as the amount of PGE2 increased, the number of responding fish also rose, which basically means that the more of this pheromone you have sliding around in the water, the more excited pufferfish you have. So the researchers concluded that as the puffers start to spawn, they release the PGE2 into the seawater, which triggers the sort of synchronized beach spawning behavior, which still doesn't really link it to the moon. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. You're tuning into 4ZZZ. The show is No Idea with Max and Izzy. Yeah. And we run on subscriptions. And this is the month for subscribing because it's Radiothon coming up on the 11th. 
so excited. For 10 days or so. I'm excited. Yeah. You got a variety of prizes. Yeah. Variety Which of we very don't know exciting. about yet. We don't know. They're yeah. going to be dropped soon. <laughs> so keep an eye out. Some cool artwork if you subscribe. Oh, the merch. Yeah, Looking the merch. hot. Yeah. And you subscribe for as little as, I don't know, $20 if you're under 18. Mm. You can be a full subscriber for $70. Concession, 35 A passionate, 130 or you can subscribe your pet if you want to for twenty dollars. Just go to the four triple Z's website. So it's four zzz.org.au forward slash support, and you can choose the entry level that you want to pay. Exactly. Yeah. So Max, mm. what's, your, what's been your favourite show on the grid? Apart from No Idea mm. and EK Radio. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'd have to say Duckstab with Bella. That's pretty cool. Nice. Ian's show is always pretty cool. Uh, yeah. A variety <coughs> of people on there. There is, yeah. Do you know what I've been loving? Hmm. Darker by the day. I think it's Darker by the day. Yeah, on the Wednesday. On Wednesday mornings, yeah, yes, okay. with Nick. Nick. Nick, who does Thursday reception. Yeah, okay. What a chill guy. If yeah. you've ever, if you came to Open House, hmm. he was the dark haired fella who was doing tours. <laughs> um, and his playlist is great. Like, it's yeah. four hours of great music cool. with, like, a good mix of everything. So that's what I've been appreciating. Great on Nick. Just came out of announcer training as well. Yeah. Immediately into a graveyard. Done. Done. So yeah. if you enjoy radio, subscribe. Exactly. Keep an eye out on our socials as well for Radiothon gifts. We've got a lot of very exciting stuff coming up. Everyone at the station knows uh, which shows the most appreciated. Uncancelable. So yeah. Uncancelable. That's what I love to say about us. <laughs> everything we do, everything we say, everything we've ever put online, uncancelable. Yeah. That's right. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is no idea. Your weekly dose of science with me, Max, and Izzy. What's up? And we just heard a request for Terry, for Speed Racer. And Terry texted in. He said, good morning, uncancelable. For the Motor News, FYI, Jamboree is on at Willowbank this weekend. That includes four and six-cylinder engines and rotary vehicles. Damn. A dude by the name of Tony Belair is running a Ford Barra Turbo six-cylinder in a rear-engined dragster that should run into the five-second zone over the quarter mile. He has already set times of six seconds and cars traveling at 241 miles per hour nice now, let's do a bit of this okay it's time for the best part of the show loosely defined as science yeah you already know everybody listens to you for triple z just to hear us talking about what butters just did subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car but something tells me that our science careers won't go far but unlike an engine i will keep you in suspension we're all here to hear him talk so let's give him attention you're not ready for when he starts rapping gonna hand the mic to max and i'm not talking van stappen Lights out and away we go. <laughs> get interrupted. <laughs> Taste of your own medicine. Get better, Jay. All right, no, they're not dead. He's, he's just, a, he's just sick. <laughs> anyway, F one. Oh, no, <laughs> okay, it, it's a slow burn to F one. Oh, come on, easy. Supercars on the weekend. Oh, true. Australia's version of NASCAR, let's say. I love watching supercars. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, no, there's something that, okay, sorry, I'm, I'm derailing this entire thing. But watching supercars has been so interesting because they tend to, we watch it after like F1 or yeah, any yeah, um, yeah. F1 event. Yeah. Watching supercars has been so cool though yeah. because like when they are driving, they have the place like where they are in the grid, like on, 
um, the I know their position, position yeah. their position yeah. in the corner of their windscreen. They have a little LED screen oh, that depla- okay. that displays where their position is, That's cool. which I think is so cool yeah. and something that maybe F one could integrate because <laughs> obviously it's on screen all the time. But when they yeah. have those like tenser moments, it's yeah. so great to just see like, oh, what's that car? Oh, it's P three. Yeah, like exactly. Anyway. That's a good point. It is a good point. So yeah, it is our Aussie supercar. It was around seven in Sydney for mm. the V eight supercars and the results for race eighteen, which was a night race. Saw Brody Kostecki win. And then a day race, the race 19, was won by Kiwi Shane Van Gisbergen, or SVG. And while we're talking about SVG or Shane Van Gisbergen, he has now officially said that if there is a seat in NASCAR for him next year, he will race full-time in the US, which means it leaves his red... Bull supercar seat vacant for 2024, even though he's contractually obliged to be in it. But team principal Jamie Winkup is happy for SVG to go to the States and pursue his dream of driving in NASCAR and ultimately winning the championship because he's won the championship in supercars enough times, so he's got nothing to prove in supercars. But this also presents a problem for Jamie Winkup because there's not many available good drivers, like at the standard, the SVG mm. sort of standard, available to drive in the Red Bull seat. So it has been suggested that Jamie himself should hop in the seat. Oh. So be a driver and team principal at the same time because Jamie has won the Supercar Championship. How many times do you reckon Jamie's won it? Jamie. Um, how long the career? He's, he's old now. Old. old. He's right. like 40 now. <laughs> yeah, old. All right. I'm going to go 10, 15. Yeah, 7. Oh, okay. He's won it 10. seven times. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Formula E happened on the weekend. Mm. This is the open wheel class, but they run on batteries. It was in London uh, on the lead-up to the race weekend. Formula E set a new indoor land speed record. I didn't know there was such a thing, but that's apparently... Yeah, huh? <laughs> so they run around this big warehouse. And the previous attempt, which was set earlier this year, say in March, they recorded 218.7 kilometres per hour. Uh, no, sorry. The previous record was 165.2 kilometres per hour. Mm-hmm. The record set before uh, the, the London race was 218.7 kilometres per hour. The car used was a modified Gen 3 car with enhanced battery power. So it was up to 400 kilowatts, up from 350. And an all-wheel drive powertrain. The car was also fitted with a new softer tyre compound and fitted with 3D printed front wing pl- end plates, wheel fins and wind deflectors to optimise aerodynamics. That's really cool. Yeah. F3, we're getting close to F1 now. Mm. F3 happened on the way. Only one more race to decide this year's championship. There are multiple Australians driving in the championship, but they probably won't. I don't think they're in the running to actually win the F3 championship, but we'll find out soon enough. F2, they had a race. Um, in Spa Sunday's feature race saw Aussie Jack Doon starting from 11th mm. and with some you know like if there is a god you know like <laughs> some divine intervention of sorts or just <laughs> just call it crazy luck 
He started on an alternative strategy using mediums and then uh, stopped and got softs on the end. A safety car came out just as he needed his pit stop. So that maximised his position. He came out in P2. So he's gone from P11 to P2 after his pit stop. So it was only a matter of time because he's on new softs mm. that he passed the guy winning uh, who was in the lead. And Jack went on to win the race. Nice. So job done. He's, that's back-to-back. From P11, uh, yeah. Back-to-back wins now over t- two weeks. Nice. Okay, here's the one you're talking about, F1. It was also in Spa. Mm. It's one of the most famous racetracks going around. But it was besieged by rain. I know. Making it hard for race organisers to green flag any races, really. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's been a couple of deaths in the previous years mm. so in the lower categories. And on top of all this, it was also a sprint weekend, which means there was only one free practice to set up the cars before they had to start qualifying for mm. Sunday's feature race. Anyway... What, ca- what what car setup are you going to use? Are you going to use a wet weather sort of car setup? Or yeah. are you going to cross your fingers and hope that Sunday's race is going to be a, a dry, dry race? Yeah. Yeah. McLaren sort of put a bit too much wing on. They, they thought it might have been a, more of a wet race. Mm. Uh, but it, it suited Oscar Piastri's uh, driving style, and he managed to get second in the sprint race. Max Verstappen won that. And then the feature race, Piastri got taken out by Ferrari's Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz called him out on it, but I don't think... It was just a racing incident at Turn 1 when they were going to the corner. So, yeah, they Mm. both had to retire, both Piastri and Carlos Sainz. Max Verstappen went on to win the race. And it was 1-2, wasn't it, for Red Bull? So, Checo. Yep. Sergio Perez, he came in second. And third was a Ferrari. For once, it's been a long time for a Ferrari to be on the the, um, podium. And that was... Uh, who is <laughs> I can't think of his name anyway <laughs> I'm doing well here aren't I yeah it's, nah uh, that's yeah. alright Pierre Gaz uh, no uh, anyway I'll think of it in a sec Charles Leclerc there you there go there we go yeah, nice. nice well I got something to talk about as well um, yeah. talking about this is kind of old news but um, F1 Academy so for those yes. who don't know that is the um, all female single-seater racing championship, which is founded by F1 and is actually managed by Susie Wolf, who is Toto Wolf's wife. Yes. Um, this, they have just, they've been in discussion about putting um, the, in the 2024 season, having, you know, how they have the F, maybe F2s F, um, before every F1 kind of race. They'll mm. have like the pre-race races. Putting the F1 Academy, the all-females one, in the pre um, mm. kind of weekends. So on select F1 weekends, they yeah, can yeah. have races playing and broadcast as well. Fox Sports actually picked up the F1 Academy now. Right. Okay. So we'll be able to watch that and mm. broadcast it. Think of it like uh, we'd love to see a separate league where we could watch the F1 Academy, of course. Yeah. But I just thought that was really cool and really awesome that they will be picking up the women's yes, sport. Right. And the FIA has mandated that the 10 teams mm-hmm. that are in F1 have to have the same livery for the uh, F1 Academy people. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd so, be cool. It was really yeah, cool. So nice yeah, crossover. that was some, yeah, did some little bit of research, which is awesome. It's a, it's another feeder system, I guess, into... Yes, right. And the idea being that hopefully we'll get a female racing in F1 one day. Yeah. And mm. Australia is actually quite known for its large female motorsports. Mm. So that'll be really exciting. Hopefully we can have a whole full um, tracking Aussie F1 female mm. drivers. So yeah, that's the motor wrap. Nearly. 
Nearly. Oh, we got the Valtteri Carbon Bottas report. <laughs> <Everyone> <laughs> Let's keep an eye on him. <laughs> Valtteri finished 13th in both the sprint and the feature race in the Spa GP last weekend. Meanwhile, the Phoenix, Roman Grosjean, mm-hmm. will be racing this weekend in IndyCar's Nashville street race, and it's aptly named Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. Big Machine. Nashville. Oh, that's the same. Do you know what? Right. That's the same record company that I believe Taylor Swift was part of. <laughs> oh. Big Machine Records. She yeah. was part of them. So, Did you hear about that concert she recently played and it set off the earthquake meters? <gasps> yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the impact of her. Yeah. We're not going to yeah. talk about her, her dirty, dirty climate change record, but she's... <laughs> <laughs> All those private jets. Anyway, yeah. um, that's interesting. Uh, maybe you'll catch the IndyCar. And we had Nick text in. First time he's texted into us. What's and, up, Nick? And he said, great show, people. All the best. I'm not a regular listener, but you guys rock and roll. So Local thanks, Nick. Yeah. Well, Wasn't there a Dark Mirror thing about yeah. this too? I feel yeah. like I've seen mm. something on Dark Mirror about Dark mirror? dreams. That's the one. Yeah. Dark <laughs> Mirror. mirror. <laughs> That's the DC version. <laughs> but, but I, feel like, I feel like there was an episode. <laughs> That's right. You tune into four triple Z and the show is No Idea with Max and Izzy. Yup. Because V and J and Gabe aren't here, we'll have to... <laughs> yeah, we got, we're loose. Two out of five here. <laughs> we should play an old... Uh, pre-record oh yeah and i was debating whether we do the v and j when they talked about the robo roach or just v doing the human oxidation <sighs> it's a hard choice isn't it human oxidation or robo roach i yeah. think robo roach is pretty iconic you like that one yeah but human oxidation it's intriguing i sound intri- we could play intri- both <laughs> <laughs> yeah double v feature <laughs> we'll do now nah, we'll go robo roach robo roach okay yeah cool. okay let's do that all right 10 years of no idea already. Science moves so fast in 10 years. I wonder what sort of stories we'll be covering in 10 years. Hopefully there'll be more of the latest super cool innovation in technology kind and less of the latest super terrifying innovation in COVID variants kind. What are your thoughts, Jay? Well, even over the last year, we've seen a lot of stories combining technology with nature in really awe-inspiring ways. In 10 years, I reckon we might be covering stories about human-controlled animal cyborgs. Okay, that went places, but what did I even expect asking you? I'm serious though, I'm basing this off the robo-roaches. I'm sorry, the... the what? Oh, V, this story is way too important to miss out on. Let me introduce you to robo-roaches, an innovative approach towards natural disaster response developed in one of the labs at Riken, a Japanese research facility. Let me get this right in my head. You're talking about little robots shaped like cockroaches? Nope. Really, I shouldn't call them robo-roaches. That's a name I made up and it's just fun to say. But these are real cockroaches, which have been fitted with little computer chip backpacks. Inside the backpack, alongside the electronics, is a solar cell about four microns thin. Four microns in layman's terms is extremely impossibly freaking thin, by the way. So cockroaches are wandering around with little solar-powered computers on their backs. But for what purpose? Because right now, I'm envisioning them being used for the most disgusting way to cheat on a test, ever. (laughs) No, not quite. The backpacks are connected to sensory organs on the back of the bug's bodies. The solar cell generates enough power to receive and pass on commands from a remote control. Tell me you're not saying what I think you're saying. Remote controlled 
cockroaches. What the hell would motivate someone to remote control a living animal? Well, like I said at the start, the idea is that RC roaches could be deployed after natural disasters, specifically earthquakes, to search through the rubble to find survivors. Okay, I can kind of understand why that's useful. But why not create actual robot roaches? Why hijack the functions of an independent living animal? It's actually kind of the fact that the roaches are independent animals that makes them better than robots. See, small robots designed to crawl through rubble have already been invented, but they need a lot of energy to run, and the bigger the battery, the more awkward the robot. With RC roaches, it's still the roach doing the actual moving. The driver, if we want to put it like that, just directs it on where to go. So it uses the roach's natural energy stores, rather than needing to rely on a battery. Plus, roaches have an instinct to right themselves if they flip over, which robots don't. Assuming control over roaches and using up their energy still feels kinda morally dubious. No, yeah, for the record, I'm fully with you on that. This whole thing sits badly in my gut, even if they are just cockroaches. If it makes you feel any better, their backpacks aren't surgically implanted or anything, so they can be removed for the roach to return to normal life between missions, I guess. That doesn't sound much better. I know, but it is awesome to think that hijacked bugs could be used to save lives in earthquake situations. Plus, the researchers note different ways this technology could be helpful, not just for hijacking animals, but for monitoring life signs in vulnerable people. The lead researcher even claimed that a parasol made out of the same material as the little cockroach backpacks could charge your phone while you were walking around in the sun. I have to admit, the idea of using animals' natural energy storages as a battery is kind of interesting, even if it's a bit messed up. This isn't what I sort of imagined when I thought about cyborgs, but it is an interesting direction for the technology to go. Just imagine, in 10 years, we could be getting RC roaches to type our stories for us. Or be spied on by hijacked flies with microscopic cameras on them. Or we could still be working out the bugs of the system. The lead researcher gave a demonstration of the RC roach in which the cockroach went in circles when he tried to turn it right. The other directions worked fine, but the point is there's still a long way to go. It's still pretty impressive considering the machinery the researchers used was constructed out of $50 worth of parts from the local electronics store. I guess the point is, we can't really predict the places science might take us, as long as we don't end up applying this sort of technology to anything bigger than an insect. There's there's not a universe, like in, in all the multiverse, there's not a universe where I know the answer to this question. But go on, Max. I hate you, Max. <laughs> he did that science beforehand just so he could get away with doing this. Four triple Z. You tuned in? Oh, go ahead, Max. No, right. I, I no. Always... get interrupted. <laughs> yeah, you're tuned into Four Triple Z. Took the words right out of Max's mouth. You're here with no idea with Max and Izzy. And it's time for a bit of this. No idea. Space news. Go ahead. There's a satellite called AOLOS. US Space Command has said that the European Space Agency's craft entered Earth's atmosphere at around 5 a.m. last Saturday. That's Brisbane time above Antarctica. The manoeuvres ensured that any pieces of Aeo, was it Aeolos that did not burn up in the atmosphere fell harmlessly into the oceans. Speaking at a press conference held on Wednesday, uh, July 19, the head of ESA's Space Debris Office, Holger Craig, explained that just 20% of the satellite was expected to survive re-entry, adding there are no plans to recover any of the pieces. The satellite was named after the keeper 
of the winds in Greek mythology. I was going to make a Gabe joke about that, but he's not here today. Keeper so of okay. the winds, <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> it was launched back in 2018 on August 22 using a Vega rocket. Uh, as its name implies, the primary mission of the satellite was to become the first instru- instrument to measure Earth's winds from space. And not only did Aeolus uh, do that, it contributed to climate research, but the satellite also provided data that was essential for weather forecasting, especially during COVID lockdowns. Whoa. When weather, weather instruments carried by aircraft were all grounded. Remember when all the planes were grounded? Yes, I remember that. That's cool so, as hell. Yeah, it was doing all the, satellite, uh, all the weather work for us. Now, have you heard of this Fox series called Stars on Mars? No. No. It's a new reality program that debuted back on June 5, and it chronicles the misadventures of a group of B-listers, uh, which include TV celebs, cyberspace influencers, and ex-pro athletes. <laughs> B-listers. <laughs> and they call them cele- celebro-noughts. And, oh. they, and they try to outmaneuver each other and avoid being sent home after dealing with emergencies. And for those wondering, yes, there's a robot dog. So that's all <gasps> you want a robot Should dog? Should have led with that, Max. Yeah. <laughs> the Martian simulation was filmed in the Australian opal mining town of Coobapiti. Oh, my God. And oh. I handed you a list of some of the You did. We got B-listers. props, guys. We got props. <laughs> and I only recognised two of the names of these uh, ten people on the simulation so? of stars on Mars. I recognised Lance Armstrong who is a cyclist that got done for drug 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 riding, would you say? And the other one is Ariel Winter, who starred, she starred in the comedy series... Modern Family. Modern Family. Yes, I recognise that. That's Alex yeah. from Modern Family. Um, I know, yeah, Lance Armstrong, who got done <laughs> for that. Um, and the artist Tanisha. Who, Tanisha. Yeah, who I've been... Um, I think she's got a couple good, like, um, they're more stuff that you would hear on commercial radio, but she's got a few bangers out there, so... There you go. You want to read out the 10 names? Oh, God. Okay. Lance Armstrong, Natasha Legro, Yep. Marshawn Lynch, Christopher Mintz-Palaz, Palaz, yeah. um, Adam Rippon, Ronda Rousey, Tom Schwartz, yes. Schwartz, Richard Sherwin, Tanisha, Portia Williams... Gobadia? <laughs> yes. Gobadia? Never heard of that person. Tulua Willis and yeah. Ariel Winter. There you so go. There's a, that is certainly That's a, a B list. That, that is an IMDb <laughs> dig that you've got to Deep do. Deep dive. But Stars on Mars, okay. Yeah. That sounds like an interesting premise. Interesting, it's in Australia. Now, remember when they got that sample from uh, that um, meteor uh, asteroid called Bennu? And the, the satellite they sent out there to pick up the sample was called OSIRIS-REx. Well, apparently, unbeknownst to the rest of the world, Queen's Brian May, you ever heard of him before? Of course. Yeah. He was voted the greatest guitarist of all time by readers who read Total Guitar Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's been at work for years leading up the OSIRIS-REx uh, uh, sampling attempt, helping to process images captured by NASA's Space Rock Explorer. He had to find a suitable landing site um, because it's fairly treacherous Mm. and it's only 525 metres wide, so not much room for error when you're dealing with its space. 
So he has this a special, or not unique, we'd say. He just has special ability to take 2D imagery and mm-hmm. turn it into 3D. Whoa. So then they could get the spatial going on and the distances and all That's that sort really of stuff. Cool. So he was working on that. And it's all been um, released now in a, in a book, and it's called Bennu 3D Anatomy of an Asteroid. Bennu, Bennu 3D Anatomy. Anatomy. Of an, of an asteroid. asteroid. Yeah. And can I just correct you? I'm sorry, Max. It's Sir Brian May as oh, well. It is he too. is a Sir. Yeah. He was awarded the mm. most excellent order of the British Empire. So it's Sir Brian May. Okay, I've got a question for you. Yes. The latest expedition team on the ISS, the International Space Station. Station. What number expedition do you reckon it is? Uh, hmm. 30. Oh, I thought you'd go for your favourite number. 69. It is. It is? It is. (laughs) Expedition 69. The mission started back in March this year. And a summary of the mission tasks are solid fuel ignition and suppression test, immunity assay, engineered heart tissues part two, (laughs) external microorganism study, and a student-built ball clamp monopod. A what clamp? Uh, I don't know. And there's what is? Th- whoa! That's uh, that's a special patch that they wear on their that's cool on their as suits. Hell. I want one. I think you should make one of those. I up. want to. We're doing knockoff merch. <laughs> 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 that's really cool. And that's it for the space, space news. news. That, thanks, Max. Yeah, that was right. really awesome. I learned that you can hear the difference between different water temperatures when they're poured. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour one after the other mm-hmm. into a different glass and you have to tell me which one is which temperature. I've got a hot and a cold. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yep. Right, here's the first one. Any thoughts? Is this the bodily fluids again? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying cold. It sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Yeah. Here's the second one. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Well played. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you tune in to 4 Z, and the show is no idea. We just heard from Gabe and V. It's such a good. You I, like that? I, yeah, I remember I was sick that day yeah. and I was tuning in yeah. and it made me audibly like <laughs> laugh. It was just the sound between. Cool, that sting huh? is such. What a good episode that one is. Exactly. Oh. Anyway, we have to sign out now, Izzy. Yeah, we do. That's it for the science show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll speak to you next, next week. Next week. See ya. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. science. science.